Good afternoon. Makes me happy to see these four little lights that are still on here. Earlier this summer, I had the flu and wasn't feeling well, right? Death happens when a person has the flu. And I had spent, you know, a number of days at home. And when I was starting to feel better, I felt like, oh, I just want to go outside. And so um, I went to a place that's um, kind of tucked away. It's not so well known. It's kind of a I live on the in Redwood City, so this was near the San Francisco airport on the water. But it's like this little inlet that's just really charming, and there's a little bench there. And so, so I was just sitting there, like feeling like, oh, to get out of my place and be free, breathing some fresh air and feeling the breeze and feeling very happy. And in this little inlet, there were some people windsurfing. It was just great, beautiful little sails, and they were zipping around. Some people on wind foils, which is a new water activity, a variation of windsurfing, which they go higher and faster. And of course, near the airport, there's these giant planes, you know, going over. And I just had the sense like, oh, wind and air, a way that we, sometimes we don't even think about them, but here's, here's like this great evidence of people with uh, having fun and playing with it or airplanes maybe business or work or, you know, travel. The air. So often we don't even think about it except, you know, when it's troubling and the air quality is poor. Or certainly we think about it when we don't have enough air, of course. But in the same way, when I was, um, another little story that when I was growing up, that, um, I grew up near a place that is windy and there is back at the end of the, um, in the early eighties after the energy crisis, quote unquote, they thought we're going to see if we can harness all this wind. So one of the first wind farms got created and then through these, it eventually became the largest wind farm in the world for a little while. And just recently, they, you know, upgraded, you know, after all these decades, the technology has changed. And these new windmills, wow, they are amazing. The one tower is like 30 stories high. Like one blade is 500 feet, and they just kind of move slowly like this. And apparently there's this whole entire Googleplex of search engines or something that are getting powered by this. I don't know if that's true. This is what I heard. 
wind, air. In Pali, the word is vayu, and it gets translated by some translators as air and some as wind. It's this way to, you know, harness the wind, the air to play with or power our lives, our towns, travel, work. Not even to mention the obvious parts, right, that living beings need to breathe. When we take the precepts at the beginning of the retreat, we say, not to harm any living beings, but literally the Pali is not to harm any breathing beings, as pointing to the importance of air, the breath. And maybe I'll say that also when the, the four of us were kind of mapping out, okay, what talks we're going to do and who's going to do it, there were ideas like, okay, Diana, you're going to do air and space. And whenever I heard air and space, I thought, air and space museum. For many years, I lived in Washington, D.C. I have spent many hours there. That place is amazing. The first airplane that ever worked with the Wright brothers, the first lunar landing module is there. I mean, all these amazing things. Just how, I think, how humans we've been playing with and harnessing and working with the air element. Represents motion. Also represents actual air that we breathe. Something that all of us, is a part of our lives, but maybe we don't notice so much. There's also this way in which air and space might be associated with a certain amount of awe and appreciation. Just the ways that humans have been working and playing with and harnessing. Right? It's not uncommon also to have dreams about flying, like kind of like humans want to be like through the air. And all cultures, I'm not an anthropologist, maybe I shouldn't say all cultures, but it seems that all cultures have stories that involve like beings that are fly or things that are in the air or something like this. And so for me, this brings this little bit of a sense of awe, a little bit of a sense of appreciation. So the air element, in my mind, is a little bit associated with these, maybe this type of uplift, we might say. And so awe, it's this feeling that we get when we, or we might get, in the presence of something that's vast. And we think of air, and we even like think of space, right? Of course, it's like vast, but awe also has this little bit about this vastness and it challenges our understanding. 
understanding of ourself or our understanding of the world. So if you allow me, I'd like to associate air with this kind of uplift, right? Because uplift is part of air and wind. But I'd like to also suggest that maybe it's the uplift of the heart, uplift of the mind, as part of the air element. And you might say, oh, that's cute, Diana. (laughs) That's fun. But it turns out that this is really important, actually, this uplift of the heart, this uplift of the mind. When we look at some the teachings from the Buddha and we see that sometimes uh, it happens in a number of different situations, he gives a teaching to somebody and they become awakened. So like, how does that work? just in case we meet a Buddha so that we know. And here's a description. So this the Buddha, it's, this is a description of something that's repeated many times. And this is when the Buddha is talking to Upali. Upali is uh, not, wasn't a monastic, wasn't one of the Buddha's, you know, devotees necessarily. The Buddha is talking to him, giving him some teachings. And then, when the Buddha knew that Upali's heart was, and this is a, I'm quoting from the sutta here, and that Upali's heart was ready, receptive, free from hindrances, uplifted, and confident, he expounded the teachings special to the Buddhas. Dukkha, its origin, its cessation, and the path to its cessation. Some of you might recognize that as the Four Noble Truths, but it's interesting that the Buddha is looking to see if there is a sense of uplift. And this, uh, some of you may know that Pali word citta can be translated as either heart or mind. There wasn't a distinction back in ancient India. So we could also say that when the Buddha knew that Upali's heart was uplifted or his mind was uplifted. And so during this retreat, the four of us have been like, we've been trying or been pointing to some of this, what might be a support for this uplift, this connection to nature sometimes can be part of that, but also pointing to this challenge to the way that we consider ourselves, our sense of self and our relationship to the world. Maybe a little bit of this awe is also associated with this challenging, the way that we think about things, think about the world, think about ourselves. Because this uplift and this challenge to the way that we are usually thinking or consider the support for awakening. So just like the Buddha was trying to create the conditions and notice that somebody had these qualities before he gave them 
deep teachings. There's a way in which I would say maybe even all Dharma teachings, some maybe in a more obvious way, some in a less obvious way, are pointing to supporting maybe this sense of uplift and sense of challenge too. So this work with the elements, we're hoping that has been a way that it's been a maybe a different experience for many of you. Not the usual way of practicing, but maybe not the usual experiences either on retreat. Because it turns out that when we look at our experiences, whether we're using the elements or we're just looking at our expenses, experiences, we see that they are always changing, right? There's always in flux, there's this flow, this shifting and changing. The only things that are static, the only things that are constant are ideas, notions. It's our ideas about things that don't change. The things themselves are always changing. And so some part of this element practice is to really point to the experience solid, resistance, fluid, warm, cold. Those have been changing, right? You've been spending days noticing how they're really changing. But we might have an idea about our body or self that is be constant. Body is good, it's bad, it's this, it's not that. So it's only our ideas that are not always changing. Our experiences, if you've been seen firsthand, you don't need me to sit here and tell you this, are changing. But there's this one idea that has a big impact on us, and that is that we have a, or there is a core or an essence, like this center to everything, and that this core or essence or center to everything, we've been seeing all these things change, but somehow there might be this idea that there's this stable, permanent core Somewhere, somehow. Maybe we haven't quite thought about it, but we might still have that idea. And somehow we think that the stable core thing defines us. Or we might think that the stable core is, well, all these sensations are happening to this stable core. But what is a stable core? core, that would be an experience also, right? 
And that would be changing. But our idea that we have it, maybe that's what kind of makes it seem like it's uh, not changing so much. So when you do walking meditation, when you're outside, sometimes you might have this feeling that if you're really attentive and you're like feeling the body moving, you might notice that it's simply a collection of experiences. There's this sensations of movement. There's this maybe pressure as the foot hits the ground, or maybe some resistance, earth element. It's a sense of movement, moving through space, air element. This maybe feeling the temperature, sometimes cold, sometimes warm, depending on the time of the day, fire element. And if we're paying attention, we're just being with these experiences, that's all that's happening. There's not necessarily a sense of this solid body that's moving. And there's certainly not a sense of like, I'm doing the walking. There's just sensation after sensation after sensation after sensation after sensation. Or maybe as we've been emphasizing different elements in the different afternoons, or even without that, some of you have been reporting in some of the groups that Oh yeah, today it seemed like there was a lot of earth element, a lot of solidness, a lot of maybe groundedness, but maybe a sense of uh, heaviness. And then sometimes some of you reported, oh, today actually there's a lot of air element. There's a sense of movement and things are moving. They feel light. and So maybe some days it feels more like earth and some days it feels more like air. Or maybe every day feels a little bit like it's a mixture. So depending on what frames of reference we're using, depending what ideas we're using, uh, depending on the, our assumptions, our concepts, there we, there's can be a way in which our experience of the body is can be is different depending on our frame of reference. We all know this. We all have this experience of waking up on the wrong side of bed and feeling grumpy and then just having grumpy reactions to whatever's happening throughout the day, right? It kind of, it affects the way that we interact with loved ones. We might be more apt to yell at our coworkers or our partners or something like this, or send an email that has a little bit of a snarky edge to it when we wake up on those mornings and feeling a little grumpy. But on those mornings when we wake up and we're not grumpy, those emails don't bother us. The coworker that does that irritating thing doesn't seem so bad that day. 
So we all know this, that kind of like the mood, the attitude that we have in the mind is affecting the way we interpret and experience everything. It's the same with the sensations of the body in terms of the ones that get highlighted or ones that we might um, tend to be dismissive of or the ones that we are really holding on to. Okay, this, this defines me. These other sensations, uh, those don't define me, but this does or something like this. So maybe we might ask, well, if the body, our experience of the body changes because we have different moods and ideas, well then, how is the body really? It's not stable, it's changing. So then, if it's my body, which sensations, which collection of sensations are mine? What is it exactly that's mine? Only the sensations that I like are mine, the sensations that I don't like. If I have this idea of being associated with movement and air element, okay, maybe a... that that's mine, but these other ones aren't, or maybe we haven't really even thought about this, but just something to be a challenge, an investigation. Because is there really a core at the center of all these experiences that's kind of like constant and stable? to which everything else is happening? Is there this core, this essence that we own? And then everything that happens to it is ours? But maybe getting back to air, we know that... uh, we breathe in oxygen, which was, comes from trees. We breathe out carbon dioxide, which trees use to, in part of their living, and then right, they expel oxygen. Well, when does this... Uh, oxygen that we breathe in, when precisely does it become ours? Leaves, it's in the tree, it's the tree's oxygen, we could say, gets expelled. And then, does anybody own it? We breathe it in, it's, is it ours then? The same thing that was just over there in a tree is now in us. The same thing with the carbon dioxide that we're expelling. Is it ours while it's in our lungs? But as soon as it travels, you know, these few inches, it's no longer ours and goes into a tree and it's there. So what is ours? We're eating the earth element. We eat food. Is this ours? What is anything if it's not an element? Is there anything except elements? So I'm 
just offering some maybe challenging or ways to maybe view our experiences. Part of pointing to the elements or as sensations, we start to see that things are not as solid, unchanging, as we might have thought they were. There's tremendous freedom here. Of course, if things were solid and not changing, then how could there be more freedom? It would just be stagnant, like however it is, is however it is. But no, we know that where things are changing and growing and developing. So there isn't a center or or a core, but there's a way in which all these components of our lives are connected. Maybe we might even say there's lots of uh, water element, not not literally, of course, but that there's this way in that all these sensations are connected in the sense that they belong to one body and one brain. But there's also a narrative that's stitching them together. And these narratives are ideas. This is kind of part of this story that we are telling ourselves that, that, yeah. And of course, we do things because of other things. So in some ways, there's just this flow. As opposed to a sense of a center that is controlling everything. As opposed to this sense of um, things that we can own and move about in some kind of way. So, of course, there are beliefs, desires, sensations, experiences, and they're all related to each other. And it's these connected things that makes up a self. It's these connected things that are connected by narrative, rather than this core essence that's unchanging that we that can be controlled and that we can own. And often when we hear something like this, or I know this certainly was my experience, I was like, what? No. That just seems not quite right. There can be a sense of puzzlement or even this disbelief because it just, idea of a self, I don't know, just seems real. We might even think this is just a ridiculous, but chances are you've been having a lot of experiences that are pointing to that things aren't as stable as we thought. And this is where freedom is. And so the Buddha, he was when he was giving these instructions to Upali and to other people that helped with the become awakening, part of awakening is this 
deep understanding, this realization. Sometimes we get a glimpse of it. And so contemplation of the elements is this entrance into what could be one of the central teachings or dimension, dimension of insight into Buddhist teachings. This recognition that everything is a flux and flow under the influences of causes and conditions. And just as the list of the elements, the order that we presented them is the traditional order, they're in the same order every time you see them in the suttas. So it's with earth, water, fire, air, and sometimes space. Space is not always there. It goes from the most obvious to the least obvious, most obvious to the most subtle. In the same way, all these teachings and kind of our journey with uh, Buddhist teaching starts with maybe the most obvious and moves towards the most subtle. So what I'm pointing to here is subtle. Not something that you have to believe. Certainly I'm not asking none of us or asking you to just adopt a belief system. And No, we've been trying to point to sensations and I've been asking questions that you might, you know, have some curiosity about and investigate. Or not. You don't have to. So the air element. I've kind of used this as a springboard to talk about this lack of a core or essence at the center of everything, this core or essence that is permanent and stable. And this lack of this permanent, stable core or essence is liberating. Let's sit just for a moment. You don't have to shift your posture if you don't want to. And then an encouragement to Take whatever is helpful and leave behind what isn't helpful. 